Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello everyone and welcome back to episode 12 of season 5. Can you believe it? Season 5 of the Wild Wild Podcast. And we are bringing things almost to a close here. Our voyage into the apocalyptic wastelands is almost at an end. The uranium slash water slash whatever it is we're looking for is uh, almost within our grasp. So uh, joining me as he has been throughout this epic journey, is my co-host and your friend, Rod Barnett. Hello, everyone. I myself am slathered in uranium dust, petroleum petroleum of some type. I'm hoping it's jelly. And I'm trying to drench <laughs> myself in water just so that I'm reminded of all the things that we've sought in the wasteland throughout this oh, season. Man. Yeah, we're still looking. We're still looking. So it's appropriate that today's film does have the word final. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, (laughs) So um, before we, as ever, before we get into the film, Rod, have you got anything that you would like to tell our listeners about that you've been doing over on your many other channels? Uh, The Bloody Pit is uh, is going going strong. got episodes coming out got 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 further episodes covering the uh, star trek feature films um at least the original six uh those are continuing to come out as we go Uh, i've got another episode featuring uh universal horror movies from the 40s uh actually a twofer of the first couple of inner sanctum movies which uh yeah yeah those are those are always well worth talking about and and yeah. uh, we we've doubled up because the films are so short. Um, oh yes, and uh, we'll have a uh, Lucio Fulci episode coming up uh, here in a few weeks. It's it's not going to be the next episode that drops, but it, it, oh. we're doing we're doing an episode on. Conquest. You finally you finally given in, and you're doing a Franco and Chicho movie. <laughs> that's that's exactly it. If if Franco and Chicho did willed uh, fuzzy nunchucks, so yes. <laughs> oh, I see. What did you say? Conquest. Yes, conquest. Excellent. All right. I mean, I have wondered at times, you know, all the ideas that we've had for seasons that there's definitely enough films to do an Italian um, caveman season, but I'm not sure I could handle 10 films of people going ugh and (laughs) acting like Conan and, you know, that whole sort of caveman slash Conan the Barbarian thing. I mean, we could probably do it. Oh, it's it's definitely doable. There's more than a few of those films out there, yeah. But I'm not sure, yeah. If we if we get desperate, but anyway, <laughs> no, um, yeah, that's cool. So we look got those to look forward to, and yeah, I just I had a little adventure this past week that I wanted to mention, and I I I think for the first time I can quite, I can actually say that I went viral on social media, hmm. uh, to a small scale. I mean, not to an Elon Musk scale, but um, 
on Thursday, I visited a, there's a long backstory to this that I won't bore you all with now, but basically I was able to go and visit a cinema up in the West Midlands that has a huge collection of 35mm film cans just quietly rusting in its basement. Um, so normally cinemas would send the prints back after they were finished with them, but somehow in the 70s, the manager of the cinema there managed to keep a whole load of them. And um, I think he may have been a distributor on the side, possibly. But anyway, so for 40 odd years, there's just been this huge collection of film cans down in the basement of this fabulous um, cinema. So they don't know what to do with them. No one's ever really properly looked through them all to even see what's on them. Uh, what's in them, I should say. So that ended up being me. So on Thursday with my son, we went down into this basement and I spent two hours getting covered in brick dust and film can rust writing down what was on every single what was in every single can and what was really cool and the reason i'm mentioning this now is that half of it was british sex films but the other half was italian films it was so cool so they had all of the reels um for films like the last hunter tiger joe oh. the beyond they got the Beyond on 35 mil. Wow. Um, I know. City of the Living Dead was down there. So cool. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I think there was a Spaghetti Western, at least one or two of those. Some of them may have had reels missing, but I, I need to go through my list and actually type it up so I can remind myself what there was. But I was just picturing. I was talking to them and I looked at some of the cans. Some of them I didn't want to open for fear of creating some kind of atmospheric change and they just crumble to dust in front of my eyes but it looks like a lot of them are still projectable like they're in good nick so i was telling them they should organize some sort of 35 mil exploitation film festival it would be amazing certainly so that was really really cool um and so i just tweeted a photo of me with all these cans and it went my I had to turn this is the first time this has ever happened. I had to turn my Twitter notifications off that day <laughs> because my phone was just buzzing constantly, constantly, constantly all day for about two days. It was amazing. People love film. And it was a really interesting reminder of that. Like even though most cinemas only really went digital in the last ten to fifteen years. So most of us have got a memory of film. Yeah. But it's already basically just a memory, right? It's, it hardly anywhere still projects off film. Like they still had at the cinema on the massive big reels that would have been the ones that went into the projector, onto the projector. They still had all spooled up the last film that they ever projected on film there, which was Cowboys versus Aliens. So, you know, that's how recent films were still being projected on, primarily on film. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, it was really cool. So I got just hundreds of likes and retweets. And I think I've got a, over 200 new Twitter followers in the last two or three days. <laughs> just <laughs> just because people are like, oh, I had lots of questions. You know, is Doctor any lost Doctor Who in there? That kind of stuff. Right. Well, yeah. But, you know, but the answer is no, because it's it's all stuff that was being shown at the cinema yeah i was about to say that that not not likely that's that that, that kind of stuff yeah. <laughs> turns up in uh, turns up in foreign uh, t uh television yeah exactly uh, television studio uh vaults not anywhere else yeah so. not in cinemas but yeah so anyway a reason i mentioned it is because of how cool it was that a lot of italian stuff was in there and so i am hoping to be instrumental in some way in getting some kind of italian film day where they show like three of these things back to back i think it would be amazing so if that ever happens i'll um, be sure to let you all know but uh yeah so that was my fun week um but enough of all that <laughs> it's time for us to get down to business here it sounds with... a lot like you're saying well enough enough with fun now let's enough get... with fun we've got to do it like we've We've had our pudding. Now we have to eat our vegetables, and the, <laughs> uh, and yeah, and so we are of course today talking about l'ultimo guerrero, which I think means the final warrior, 
but uh, the English translation is, of course, the final executioner. Mm-hmm. Now, at this, at this point, I would play in some funky 80s synth theme track, but the opening credit music for this film is so depressing. It's very different <laughs> from what we're used to uh, from the last nine films. So yeah, here's a clip. Yeah. Here's a clip anyway. But do not worry, because later on in the film, there is some classic 80s post-apocalypse synth, which they do bring in every time there's a fight scene. So uh, I'll pop a bit of that in later once we start talking about the plot. But yeah, the final executioner, Rod, was this... I mean, I feel like we're sort of scraping the bottom of the 1984 post-apocalypse barrel with this one. But is this a film you'd seen before? No, this is one that had completely escaped my attention until the the year of our Lord, 2023. And I've <laughs> got to say, uh, I can see why. Uh, yeah. Not, I, and, I'm not, and don't get me wrong, I'm not going to pretend that it's the worst example, but it is no. rather, it is rather kind of colorless. It doesn't really have anything that stands out. Yeah. That to, to kind of make it distinctive in any real way, it is a pretty effective time waster if you're willing to enjoy <laughs> this type of cinema. But mm-hmm. it doesn't bring it doesn't bring anything new to the table. It doesn't bring anything really overly interesting outside of just kind of enjoying the the funky badness of the dialogue or the funky badness yeah. of the costumes or the funky badness of what they're trying to do it's got a very odd tone it's very different in tone from our previous films mm-hmm. which have mainly you know despite the fact that we're in a post-apocalyptic nightmare wasteland for most of the films they're still quite fun and there is zero fun in this film <laughs> no fun at all um, so Romolo Guerrieri, I pronounced that wrong, I'm sure, which if I'm right, like this film is L'Ultimo Guerriero, the final warrior, the last warrior. So Romolo Guerrieri, I think his surname means warriors because this film is L'Ultimo <laughs> Guerriero, which is like warrior or fighter or whatever. Okay. So he's he's got the right name for an action film director. You know, it's like if your name was Robert tough guy or uh, <laughs> something uh, and i guess looking at his films that is primarily what we would associate him with um you know he, he started out in as a second unit on the sort of things you would expect in the early, late 50s early 60s yeah yeah but then very quickly sort of made his name in spaghetti westerns so which of his films are you fond of because it's it's obviously not this one well well i can i I can tolerate this one but uh yeah i mean the the films of his that i'm aware of are young violent and dangerous um uh i'd heard of covert action which was made roughly you know the same period of time Mm -hmm. but um that that and the sweet body of deborah from uh, 1968 is a film that i'm aware of and i hate to say this i I think i've seen it but i can't remember i think that's one that lurks back in the days of of bootlegs Mm -hmm. but i did take note of the fact that his uh his uh well i'm aware of johnny yuma and i Mm -hmm. uh, i know i saw it long ago and thought it was pretty good but Mm -hmm. uh that that's kind of uh out of my head now as far as details too many too many westerns too too similar to each other but uh, also, it would be interesting to note that I I do believe that his his spaghetti western ten thousand dollar blood money just came out on Blu Ray. Oh, oh, is it in that new Arrow box set of spaghetti westerns? I do believe so. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't got that yet. Yeah. So of course we talked about him last season with Young, Violent, and Dangerous because that turned out to be a bit of a dark horse and it was really good. It was. Yep not one of the better known Poliziotesky films and it was Thomas Millian without a moustache and almost unrecognisable at <laughs> which first, is always frightening was, yes 
Like he was, or did he have a moustache? It was either no. Wait a minute. Oh no, he had a moustache. That was it. Wait, did he, he have had a moustache? Oh, he, he had, had a moustache, but he he was the he was the commissioner. He was the commissioner yeah, in that one. He yeah. had the suit on, and he'd combed his hair so that it was straight, and he looked very different from the other films that we're used to. He seeing looked almost him. like a normal human in that one. Yeah. yeah, and I didn't. It took me a while before I realized it was actually him. So that was a really good film, and I remember also. Um, at the time we talked a little bit about some of his other films then and there's one that particularly intrigued me called La Gorilla. Oh god. I don't know if you remember this of one. Of course it and intrigues it's just, you. It's a comedy. It's a comedy and the, the summary is great. I'm going to read it again. Ruby has been trained in martial arts by her father and now has a job safeguarding a wide range of people and their valuables. A clumsy artist named Adelmo falls for Ruby at first sight but remains clueless about her profession. Things are complicated by Adelmo's French neighbour and sometime model having a crush on him. And Ruby's father trying to hook up his daughter with various bodybuilders <laughs> while putting the moves on the French girl. I mean, that just sounds first class. Uh, um, it, I'm glad, okay, if that's your term, <laughs> sure, sure. But... Um, and according to the IMDb, at least, I think Romolo Guerrieri might still be alive. Uh, yes. Um, I, I'm not aware of his having passed. And as a matter of fact, I think that, uh, I mean, I do think that he has uh, has kind of re retired away from films. Yeah. I mean, he, he was constantly doing assistant director's jobs and second unit director jobs all the way up through mm -hmm. the, the first of the, the beginning of the 90s. But I don't yeah. I don't see any other credits for him. Um, yeah, the, fi the final the final executioner was his last actual feature film. Oh no, was it? Um, yeah, after after that he just after that he just worked in TV films. Oh, you're right, he did. That's yeah. oh wow. But like I say, I think he went back to uh, the whole assistant director and and second unit director that he that's how he got into the business in the first place. It seems. So, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, I mean, what a film to go out on, right? Like, <laughs> well, uh, no, but at the same time, yes. Yeah, I'll just put it that way. So, I mean, we've—I guess—let's do what we normally do. Let's just talk very briefly about the cast as well, because primarily, people I was unfamiliar with, um, with the possible exception of Woody Strode, mm -hmm. who, like, is often the case in these films, is sort of the token name that you've heard of chucked into the movie he's somebody who i'm assuming you've seen in a hundred things oh well yeah of course i mean you know if you've ever seen spartacus you've seen him yeah but at the same time i mean he got his start remember remember woody strode was a a uh, an athlete who came who became a, a, a an actor he was a football star at ucla and and uh he uh got involved in becoming part of the, the John Ford family of actors he would use repeatedly in different movies. Yeah. And then that kind of uh, put him on screen in a way that allowed other people to, to be interested in casting him in different things. And so mm -hmm. he was in Spartacus and he, uh, he very, you know, he's very famously in that opening sequence of once upon a time in the West and just so many films over the years. I mean, yeah. And so he was even in the Batman TV series. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, loads of classics, Shalako, Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, you know, mm -hmm. he he was um he had a pretty decent career. Yeah, and then he years. spent a few years making making uh pretty pretty decent money, I'm assuming, appearing in Italian exploitation films uh in the eighties and nineties, mm -hmm. uh, while also, strangely enough, showing up in things like The Cotton Club and Storyville and Posse. Yeah. And as with his last role being in um uh, 1995's *The Quick and the Dead*, which is a film I have mm. a lot of time for. I think I really enjoy. Ah, which yeah, also also a western. Yeah, love that movie. Love that movie quite a bit. Oh, and he's in *Lust in the Dust*. Yes, the Paul yes. Paul Bartel film uh, with Divine. That film is great. So funny. So yeah. So um, obviously he was just working around Europe at the time, and they spent probably most of their budget getting him into this one. I see. Now here's the here's the weird thing. Are you sure about that? Considering that <laughs> well, apparently they didn't have the much... apparently the footage of Woody Strode in this movie later turns up in uh, yeah the Bronx execute. Well, well, the it turns up in a different movie. Yes, it's used. It was reused. So it was shot for this one. Yeah, 
Um, but then it was reused in The Bronx Executioner and a film called Urban Warriors, neither of which I've seen. But yeah, apparently a bunch of scenes got recycled. But this was the film. This is the film he's supposed to be in. <laughs> so, I guess this is the one they actually paid him for. Is sure, we're, yeah, we're sure of that. Okay, they used it again when he wasn't looking and probably didn't pay him <laughs> residuals. <laughs> yes, exactly. So yeah, we'll talk about his character in a minute, but um, primarily everyone else in this film, I, I'm completely unfamiliar with. Did you recognize any of the rest of the cast? No, not really. Uh, when I when I uh, so there were there was there was one face that seemed familiar, but it turned out he just looks a whole lot like somebody else. Uh, that would be uh, <laughs> Harrison Muller. Who, ah, uh, yeah, I want to talk about him a little bit. Yeah, I I didn't know. Like I said, I, one look at his face and I thought, man, I think I've seen that guy before, and I have. I mean, he was in 2020 Texas Gladiators, which is probably what I'm guessing made the little bell go off in my head yeah. but that's really that's really it i mean i don't i haven't seen throne of fire that he made the year before this film uh recently mm. enough to to remember specifically about anything about him and it's yeah. been a long time since i watched the sandal bergman uh post-apocalyptic version of she it's been a long mm. time <laughs> yeah i'm not sure i've ever seen that one but i i kind of feel like i should you know it would have fit in perfectly with this series of films but at the same time you 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 would have needed a shower afterwards it's not a particularly yeah. good movie and i think so i think because there's, there's a harrison muller junior and a harrison muller senior so i'm going yeah. to assume they're related yeah so well, this harrison <laughs> yeah the the senior was his father yes yeah so i'm going to assume that this is yeah harrison muller junior and by a, a complete coincidence this week uh to prepare for our next episode i watched a film with harrison muller senior so they were both sort of still working around the same time oh really well i mean you know yeah. a movie that we will end up talking about before we close this season out has uh mr junior in it as well although it's an even it's an even more poorly regarded film than this so Oh no, that that is Harrison Muller Senior. He's oh well, according to the IMDb, he's oh, in no, Warrior no, no. of the Lost. It's, it's, he's it's in Warrior of the Lost World. Oh no, no, it's definitely Junior because uh, you can spot oh. him if you if you if you watch these films back to back like the little psycho that I am. So maybe they're both in it. Oh my God, would that be possible? That would be terrifying. Father and son together in one of the worst films I've ever seen. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe then. Anyway, we'll get to that. Uh, in the next episode <laughs> but yeah so and then so the, he's kind of like the main to begin with the film sets it up as though he's going to be the main character mm -hmm. almost like he's some kind of anti-hero but then he turns out to just be the he's actually the main villain even though he's the center of the poster and he looks the coolest and it takes us a while to figure out who the hero is going to be because we also meet at the beginning of the film a couple getting onto a tube train yep basically and this is a guy whose character name, I think, is Alan. And he's played by William Mang, who is a German actor, I believe. He's primarily, well, based on his career, he's mainly been in German stuff. I think he's actually born in Austria, but oh, yeah, he's it's close okay. enough that it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but the film, I don't think, was a German co-production. But anyway, he's in it. And a whole load of other people. There's a character called Edra who's another sort of evil femme fatale who only ever did two films. And the other one she did was, it was Jungle Raiders. I know the Antonio um, Margariti film, film. One of the yeah, few of so, the Antonio Margariti films from the eighties that I still haven't seen. Oh yeah. I haven't caught that one either. So she didn't do very much. <laughs> and yeah, there's a few other people. Uh, it's a, such an odd film. Oh yeah. Oh, there is one. Wait, there's one who I definitely recognized. Oh, cause she's in the adventures of Hercules. Oh, this is uh, true. Margie, Margie Newton, mm -hmm. that she's credited as, although I've got the suspicion that's not her real name. Uh, I think it's Marina Costa. Yeah. Or no, that's not her name. That's that's the oh. uh, that's the the lady who uh, was only in the two but movies. I'm sorry. She, Mar yeah, Margie Newton. You're correct. Yeah, she was Aphrodite in the Hercules film. She was also very famously in Hell of the Living Dead from Bruno Mattai. Ah, um, there yeah. you go. Yes, yes. So you know memorable memorable in many ways none of them particularly yeah. and we also have another guy in here who plays a young 
I think he's supposed to be maybe her little brother, the 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 evil femme fatale. There's a kind of young guy that she's looking out for called Evan, mm-hmm. and uh, that actor is Carl Zinni, who is also in Demons, which I think quite a few times we've had people who turn out to also be in Demons. Yeah, that ca- that that I think that both the Demons films have have a pretty large cast to begin yeah, with. Yeah, I, I mean, guess they've, so. got a, they've got a lot. They got to kill a lot of people in those they got movies. A, yeah, so. so there's a lot of people used up. So that's about it, really. And then there's just a whole bunch of other people who's who do have names mentioned, but like we don't really keep track of who they are and don't really care. <laughs> well, they're they're essentially there to fulfill stereotypical roles in films of this yeah. type, and and that's that that's their purpose, and they they serve it just well enough to get this thing by. So, so this film was also known as Rocket Final Executioner. And the poster for some versions of the film has this really cool motorbike on it. And uh, the VHS cover has a really cool motorbike on the front, which I think was, um, I think that was Erasmus, wasn't it? Erasmus had the cool motorbike. Yeah. Which is why at first we think he's going to be the hero because he's got the cool bike. Well, he's got the cool facial hair. He's got the cool motorcycle. He's a a badass with, with, with weapons. He's this... He he seems to be the final executioner of the title because yeah yeah he he's got a beard he's got a kind of uh, blow dry sort of wave <laughs> going on there with his hair yes yes it does yes he does the way that he's dressed I don't know if you've ever seen Blackadder but he just <laughs> reminded me so much of Blackadder the well it, it reminded me also just a little bit of how uh, in later seasons of Blake's Seven they would dress Avon. Be, be, oh, all, right. all in all in black and silvers <laughs> yeah so here we go for a bit of a plot summary and then we'll uh we'll, we'll get into it so okay here so here's the description from the book after the world ends oh okay okay in a future that we hope is not too imminent a nuclear blast shook the earth transforming our green meadows into a desert wasteland so this is a film that also starts with footage of um mushroom clouds mm-hmm. as we saw was that last time was that in the last film a man called rage i think it was yes yes yeah, that, that that's well. that that was the depressing way in which a man called rage yeah. began as well yeah well we thought that film was had a depressing opening my goodness this film is grim um what this film reminded me of the tone for the first kind of 20 minutes did you ever see that film oh what's it called now it's a 70s sci-fi movie about a group of survivors of a nuclear war who are in bunkers underground and then it turns out that the bunkers have got giant bats oh you're talking about uh, the chosen survivors does, yeah does that yeah mm-hmm. i i remember watching that and it had like such a cool setup but then the just the tone of it was sort of relentlessly depressing oh yeah. that's what this sort of reminded me of yeah uh, here's anyway. the thing if you think about it all the pieces are in place in the, in what they're doing with this film to kind of it's essentially a kind of blown up most dangerous game kind of situation in the post-apocalypse right yeah uh where you know if you step out of line in the uh the surviving society that seems to be mostly you know protected underground they ship you up you know they ship you up top to be a victim chased around by various hunters for very you know Mm -hmm. for whatever reason and seems seems like this could be a very interesting story that you know leads to the standard kind of revolutionary idea of the the uh the people being taken advantage of and being shoved out of society for dubious reasons come you know coming back to to take the society in a better direction but of course that's not what this movie is interested in at all no <laughs> Um, yeah, so the, as you've touched on there, I'll just read the next little bit because it sort of explains the world that we're in. Under the scorching sun of the future, class warfare didn't disappear at all. A group of privileged people still enjoy the comfort of civilization and modernity, while the damned of the earth are kept in contaminated areas where not only do they have to face the radioactive reaper, but they also serve as game for hunters. The latter like to come every so often to the forbidden land to glut their sadistic tendencies but they eventually end up chasing the wrong rabbit i do love the way this book phrases stuff <laughs> <laughs> well i, I have they to are... say every time i read a section out of this book 
there's there's a big part of me that just really wishes someone that was a native English speaker had taken a swipe, just one swipe. Yeah, at, just at rewriting little... this this translation mm-hmm. from the French. Yeah, yeah, just have a bit of a pass at it. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so like you said, um, if you step out of line, which there are, so there are a couple. So the beginning of the film, after the nuclear explosions, we um, we see Alan Tanner and what we assume is his wife, although I don't think we ever hear her name. I don't even They're, think they. Did, do we even really ever know? Did they know each other some, before this? I don't know. They seem to because they're together and they seem she seems very upset. And they are being kicked out. They've been sentenced to go out into the wastelands to be hunted, where they stop being referred to as people. Um, And they're basically just fair game, like you said. And they get sent out, or they get put on an underground train. They're in separate carriages, and they're they're let out at different stops. And then they are the hunted. And then we don't see them again for a while, and our attention shifts to Erasmus, uh, blow-dried anti-hero which which we think is a person he's out just riding his motorbike and the the wastelands appear to be um policed there's kind of yeah they're basically cops chasing him aren't they i think yeah they're 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 the yeah they seem to have been the cold you know these these are people who are part of kind of an elite group of hunters who go out and and kill these people and um, there's almost a throwaway line in the movie where they talk about how they've they've done this so long to so many people. There's like they've killed like 80 million people, and it's mm. and it's one of those moments where you're like, wow, that's a that's a lot. And if yeah. the idea was to present them as part of the upper crust, the wealthy part of society who are who are just you know given free reign to to murder the lower castes and the outlaws, you know, just the, the people that society deems unworthy, the movie sets it up and then just ignores it. I mean, yeah. the, the only, the only visuals, the only thing that we really get for the rest of the film is just the fact that these hunters, when not actively attempting to shoot people are lounging around this, this gorgeous Italian villa. And, this, yeah. and that's it. I mean, and that's it. That's what, that's what we get as far as the, yeah. the level of decadence of these, yeah. these characters. And they, they seem to be. Um, they, it's all very well organized. Like they have licenses, and there mm-hmm. are zoned areas where they can go and hunt. But Erasmus has got basically an uh, all-access backstage pass. He can go wherever he wants <laughs> um, because he's a cool dude with a big gun and a fancy motorbike, and he knows Edra, who seems to be in charge. I guess. Well, in charge of this, in charge of this sector, and apparently other sectors as well. Apparently, there's some kind of bidding that goes on where you get yeah. control of certain sectors. And I still don't understand how you would make money off of this, though. How do you make money no. off of this at all? Are you selling? Are the licenses expensive? Maybe, possibly, because it's supposed to be the wealthy, isn't it? The wealthy and decadent of society. Yeah, yeah and I guess they. Um, the idea is that they're picking off the contaminated irradiated people who are out there in the wastelands but the reason we find out so alan tanner we find out later the reason he was uh, kicked out is he some kind of electrical engineer scientist guy who discovered that the wastelands are no longer irradiated like it's no longer dangerous out there so they should probably stop killing everybody um and the government didn't like that so they uh kicked him out there as well and um yeah so then i mean it's just well i don't know how to describe the plot we'll see but you you've just you've just spoken about the thing that the 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 center what should have been the centerpiece of this film which is the underlying truth of the society but it's just it's nothing ever comes from it nothing it's it's just his justification for being really really pissed about being yeah. put in put in put in the place that he is because he discovered the truth and the and the you know the little the leaders the rulers don't want the truth to be known it's like but but it, yes you could have done they could have done something really interesting with that yeah yeah so they so they're known as expendables mm-hmm. um these people who are out there and then you've got the hunt so it's this game and it's all it's quite high tech so edra back in this villa has got all this equipment to monitor what's going on they've got They've also got CCTV cameras in their own villa. 
um, but they're also monitoring that they've got radio contact with people out there in the wilds and so on and they're competing with each other it's become a, such a game that they just sort of compete with each other about who can kill the most people so Erasmus and Edra have a bit of a competition going because Edra wants to win Erasmus's fancy heat-seeking rifle um, and then because he's basically got a rifle and a sword he seems to be the gentleman uh, murderer <laughs> The, the gentleman i like that yeah so um and then so basically we stick with them for a while while they they find a group a big group in a quarry because of course we're in a quarry of course and um they gun them all down they just gun loads of people down in this quarry all the all the regular expendables um but a couple managed to escape and then one of them turns out to be alan's wife Alan Tanner's wife, who I've forgotten her name already because I don't think we ever got it. Um, but anyway, Alan's wife. They they catch her and they decide that instead of killing her because she's not been out in the wastelands very long, even though technically she's not a human anymore, they can still rape her anyway. Um, so not Erasmus, but one of the other guys in this gang yeah. uh, decides that he's going to rape her. But there's also this guy, Evan, I don't know whether he's supposed to be Edra's little brother, but she's kind of looking after him. He's like 16 or something. He's like, oh, can I have a go as well? And can so I she's have like, some yeah, fun, sure. mummy? Whatever, yeah, yeah, sure. Whilst Edra and... Uh... So, oh yeah, so then whilst that's happening... Oh, that's right, because Alan is there. So they beat Alan up, rape his wife, mm -hmm. drag Alan off, tie to a rope on the back of a truck... And yeah. then dump him with the idea being that they're then going to go and hunt him. And he manages to run away. They chase him. Edra shoots him and he falls into a lake or a river or something. And we think he's dead. But then he wakes up in a bed inside an old abandoned factory. Because, of course, that's where we are. Where else are we <laughs> going to shoot this thing? We've got quarries and abandoned factories. And he has been nursed back to health by none other than Woody Strode. Mm-hmm. So, how would you describe this character of Sam? Um, Deus Ex Machina? No, uh, that's not true. Uh, he's not, he's, he's <laughs> not, not yet. He's not a... De no, no, no. That, that happens I mean, at he, the end of the movie. Yeah, although he has saved... I mean, he's basically saved Alan from drowning or dying or something. Uh, essentially, uh, the Woody Strode character of Sam is the... Um, he's the the older mentor, the, the, the retired grizzled man who... Turns out at the end was an ex-cop, and he spends uh, he nurses this fellow back to health for whatever reason, and then um, spends uh, uh, several montages training him yeah. <laughs> to be uh, a fighter, yeah. someone who can actually hold his own against these scumbag these scumbag rich people with guns, and then sends him. It's off. very it's very sadistic training. Oh yeah, of course. It's like crawl through this tunnel full of barbed wire. Uh, stand here while I punch you repeatedly in the face. And, you know, yeah, I kept waiting for it, him to force him to eat a frog or something. It's like, what's yeah, next, man? What are you this doing? Is, is this really training, Sam, or are you just uh, getting some kind of kick from this here? This is, yeah, that, seems a it, bit is, much. Is this just the way that you kind of laugh yourself to sleep at night? How do you, how do, you do this? Yeah, though that was, it's a very um, strange tone to this whole thing yeah but i mean it, it is perfect in that if there weren't enough identifiers of the decade in which this film was made the training montages actually yeah. <laughs> that puts it all to rest it's like ah yeah just, okay yeah, yeah it does just need the rocky theme over it and it, it, would be, it'd be <laughs> no, there. really it's it does it would be it would be just as appropriate for what's going on here crawling uh, crawling yeah. under barbed wire and you know all the different all the different ridiculous uh, yeah stuff. running he's got to run and dive duck between all these swinging bags of sand or something and yep, yep. yeah it's very very rocky um but but then after the training appears to be finished sam pulls out a gun and it turns out he's got a magnum and alan is like oh why didn't you say that in the first place <laughs> it's like wait a minute you've got a gun <laughs> but it turns out he's only got one bullet much and like barney fife so yeah yeah Straight, so from, Sam, straight from Mayberry to the Wasteland. Sam is training him up because so that he can go and take this ultimate revenge. But Sam's got some kind of... Uh, I don't know exactly. He's got 
I don't know whether he's just been waiting around for years for the right guy to come along that he could train up and <laughs> yeah, go well, and wait do a minute. all this maybe, stuff on his behalf. Maybe our main character, Alan, here is like the, the, the third or 20th person he's fished out of a lake and they and turned out to be up. crap. <laughs> they got an yeah. infection and died or something. He's like, ah, I'll keep trying. If Sam wants to fight back against the elite, why hasn't he already done it? Why has he been hanging around training up white guys to go <laughs> yeah really people who aren't already him. trained what are you doing yeah um so anyway so that happens and then alan is set free to go and this is basically the last third of the film is a kind of siege movie yeah where alan is uh going to get his own back on edra and erasmus and all the people in this in this villa now, if he's also trying to look for his wife, I don't... I mean, we just never hear anything about her again. Did yeah. they kill her? I don't know if you noticed... I noticed a few times the editing was a bit wonky. And I felt like there was stuff they maybe just didn't shoot. Well, that and... It, not, you're, you're right. I completely agree. And there are more than a few moments in the film where I kept wondering, why are, how, how is this happening... But also, yeah. the continuity in the film is wonky as well. Mm. There are moments when things happen, and it seems as if we're seeing a scene that should be taking place after another scene. Mm. Um, and, 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 and not just that, just the physical continuity. Of, of, for instance, um, the, the, our main character, our, our hero, Alan, um, is still wearing the same clothing that he started the sh- he started the whole yeah. thing out in, but it magically no longer has a bullet hole or blood in, on it, <laughs> and, and and it's really really strange I mean, because there's That's not true. like there's some place he could have gone to have gotten a, a completely different yeah. wardrobe that just ah, looks amazingly see, same. Now we know why Sam hasn't already gone on this revenge mission because he's been too busy running his dry cleaners. <laughs> fair okay, fair point. Yeah, I yeah, it is. It does feel like there's stuff that even just sort of basic coverage, like there is shot. There's a scene where our main people are all looking at something. Yeah, but the, we don't get the reverse, so we don't know what they're looking at. I know, and, and yet, there there's a couple of points like that in the movie where it's. Are we gonna get? I, I get. Yeah. I actually would say all that. Are we gonna see what it is? Are you gonna yeah. tell us? <laughs> so it it feels like a film that was clearly made. It probably had a really good script but it was made under uh difficult conditions and maybe they just ran out of money or maybe time pressure or something maybe alan just took too long to learn how to crawl under that barbed wire awesome so they write every every time he snagged his shirt they had to rip another page out of the script go well crap now we can't keep... even afford to film yeah. this yeah. <laughs> well, here's a question. Uh, you mentioned that it, it possibly it is possible from the outline of what we see presented on the screen, you can see vague hints at what the script may have been. And the reason yeah. I, I'm going to agree with you and say that who knows what was on the page might have been much better than what we ended up with on screen is because when I look at the credits for the guy who who's who's who wrote this, I take note of the fact that while there's some stuff in his background that I'm not partic- I, I, that, that don't that doesn't look particularly you know impressive or anything like that, but he did write things like My Dear Killer and mm. uh, Casablanca Express. Not that that's any particular great film or anything of that nature, but he's also responsible for the adapted screenplay for Santa Sangre, right? And uh, he wrote the the screenplay and story for American Rickshaw, which you know, remember, you know, like I said, like it's not one of the greatest films I, I, in in the world, but it is incredibly entertaining. Mm-hmm. And you start to think, wow, this guy wrote a, this guy had a script writing career that stretched well into, I mean, just a few years ago. I mean, there's a movie he he that that he wrote that that came out in 2021. This guy, wow. yeah, yeah. So we we I, I start to think back to this and and looking at all these different credits and also knowing that with any screenwriter anywhere there you know for every script that gets produced there's probably three to four to five that he's written for different people that you know managed to never get produced for whatever whatever stupid reason and then ideas that he's written on spec so who knows how many scripts he wrote over the years but like i say there 
are elements in the story of this film that point to the fact that this could have been not to be cruel but much better than this is yeah yeah and of course i mean you've missed i think you may have deliberately missed out one of roberto leone's finest writing credits which was for the 1973 comedy il gatto di brooklyn esperante detective oh i missed that one yeah or which i i assume i think means the aspiring detective um is a cat in Brooklyn? I don't know. But anyway, but it's one of the films after Franco and Ciccio split up. It's one of the films that Franco made on his own. Oh, you're kidding me. So, really? So, yeah, that's a Franco film, but no Ciccio. Oh, my. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. You're but that there's there's a certain part of me that that worries that you get so focused on this. I mean, why why not pay more attention to the to the to the script that he wrote for the film, which I still haven't seen? <laughs> called the master touch with kirk douglas mm. well this one has got camille keaton in it you know so oh well uh, this uh, uh, there's some interest there <laughs> and luigi pistilli <laughs> but i but i will say i do i do i do want to see the master touch one day so yeah, not yeah, just yeah, because yeah. of kirk douglas but because it also has mm. florinda bulkin and uh, yeah. giuliano Gemma, and uh just uh looks pretty interesting i have to admit yeah so yeah, so I think you know the the script for this was probably pretty solid, but I just I think that I definitely think that editing is is involved with why this film doesn't quite hang together. There's definitely stuff missing. Um, it, it feels I like mean, a movie that didn't have enough time to get you know. They, they, I think they had to make a lot of shortcuts to get the thing yeah. finished essentially. Because we never see Erasmus's motorbike again. I don't think. Yeah. No. Um, no. He spends the rest of the film on foot. I think <laughs> I think they may have had the rental of those motorcycles for a yeah, day or two, and that day. was it. Um, so I looked this film up in Matt Blake's book as well because he'd written about them to see what he thought, and he said any promise that the film has is nulled by the fact that it displays all the symptoms of a typical late entry Italian B movie: a plot made of elements taken from previous productions, mm-hmm. a lack of care over the dubbing and post production and a budget which barely covers the cost of the film negative, let alone shooting anything decent with it. <laughs> which is sort of harsh. I mean, yeah. he does he does use the word sluggish, which I think is sort of fair. It's it a bit murky. It is kind of murky, but that might just be because they only, it only ever got a VHS release. So that's on YouTube, and it is a bit murky. Maybe we, we would assess this film slightly better if Severin brought it out on Blu-ray, for example. Hey, and I would be more than willing to watch it again if there was a presentation made with some yeah. kind of, you know, some kind of information about, you know, the production that would mm. that would give us an enhanced idea of just why it turned out the way it did. I'm yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm a I'm a I'm a masochist like that. So yeah, no, 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 me too. I would be interested. I'm sure there's probably some good stories behind this film, but uh, just not in front of the camera, sadly. <laughs> but well, yeah, but, apparently not. Maybe being, perhaps being too harsh. There are definitely interesting things. This is it's much more adult in tone than some of the other films. I mean, we've True. seen boobs. We have seen boobs, I should say, in at least one of the Joe D'Amato films. But this is the first film that has a full-on sex scene mm-hmm. and a kind of attempts at eroticism, whereas the other films, not really, I would say. Um, so it's trying to do something a bit more grown up, you, I guess you could say, or more. Ex- it's leaning in more heavily on exploitation. the The violence is not that. There's not that much in the way of blood and guts, and with the violence, I don't think. If I remembered that wrong, Maybe yeah, which is another element that I think shows off the 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 budgetary constraints yeah, that they were probably under. It's cheaper to get people to take their clothes off than it is to uh, create nasty wounds and stuff mm-hmm. but there are people there are deaths there's lots of shooting i mean they go through a lot of blanks <laughs> a lot of blanks yeah there's a lot of weaponry so they, they they did have some money um but yeah it's it's an interesting one so you know i'm not saying don't watch this film i'm just saying go into it cautiously <laughs> well i mean uh, it is easy enough to see if you're curious i yeah. mean it's sitting there on youtube it's easy enough yeah. to watch and there's there's good stuff in it, um, and it, but it's just very interesting how different it is. And like I said, it's got this tone that's quite kind of gloomy. And uh, but then every time there's a fight scene, like I said, the synthesizers really kick in, 
So just to end on a bit of a high, here is some of that classic synth um, whilst people are punching each other. And there you go. So that was uh, the score was provided by somebody who only scored two things, according to the IMDb. <laughs> this film, this film, and then another one six years later. So I guess they were probably doing other things. I would like to think they're maybe just too busy on tour. Um, but that's your classic uh, kind of eighties synth pop. But that music, because we've got so used to this depressing film, the music <laughs> suddenly feels very out of place when it kicks in, which is really odd. But anyway, that is the final executioner. Rod, anything else to say before we uh, wrap things up on the final um, executioner? No, I don't think uh, uh, nothing of of real concern other than um, to just to just stress that while you know you you mentioned at the beginning of this that we probably with this film are scraping the bottom of the barrel. I would agree. Um, uh, at the same time, I enjoy this genre enough to have not had any real trouble getting through this film uh, simply because I love the compare and contrast game in my own head about the, the the various films in this genre and from this period. You know, post-apocalyptic Italian films of this, of this time, I love kind of seeing the variations and that's kind of, kind of most of the joy that I got from this film. Uh, I did at the beginning think that since they were setting up this to be a variation on the most dangerous game, that that was going to play out in a, in a, in a more interesting way. And honestly, they kind of just sand all of that, uh, all of the spiky, interesting pieces off of that as the film goes along. Um, For whatever reason, who knows, we may never completely find out, but I will say this, if someone could manage to arrange interviews with people who made this film the actors yeah just to get some insight into the production if any of them i mean who knows how long <laughs> were, were they doing this for two weeks will they remember anything about the production considering their mm-hmm. life at the time you know i would love yeah. to get an idea of how the film came about and what the uh, the experience was like just yeah. out of curiosity you know are some of the things that you and i are surmising are they true you know what was there a more interesting story or script you know that that people were staring at but it just could not get onto the film i'd i'd be curious to know but yeah. as far as um this being uh the the 10th film in this series that we cover 10 out of 10 i uh you know i understand we we yeah. i am glad we i'm glad we did this one because it, it is a, yet another uh, of the of the few that i'd never seen before but now uh, it's very easy to see why this one does not have a long list of champions that would have made this mm. one uh, something that I came to earlier than yeah. this now, as we're kind of plowing our way through uh, more yeah. obscure elements of this uh, of this genre. It's uh, yeah. it's not one of the best. No, but well, but hey, stay tuned for our next episode, everybody, and you'll find out where Rod and I think this film sits. And the uh, on the between you know, with all the other films, we're going to rank the ten films that we've covered, and uh, I bet you just I bet you can't guess where this film is going to be <laughs> placed. Actually, I bet you I bet you um, probably you can't when you when on tenterhooks yeah. for the next yeah. at least the next two weeks to find out what we think. Um, all right, before we go, we've had quite a lot of feedback in the last two weeks, oh, okay. uh, which I wanted to just share with you before we finish. We had a message from Tom Peterson who says, I just wanted to say I enjoyed the latest Wild Wild podcast that you did on A Man Called Rage. Big fun as always. Uh, Then he says, upon the recommendation of you two learned gentlemen, that's very nice, I will now enjoy the Italian-Spanish-German co-production whose title roughly translates as Susan Scott's Ocelot Cries at Midnight because Marina Malfatti got traces of Umberto Rajo's deep red on Horst Frank's cold grey table again. <laughs> so there you go. That's one to add to our list of uh, lost jellos. I think the alternate title for that one is 
uh, deep purple. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or possibly deep puce. I'm not sure. Yes, yes absolutely. Um, we had, speaking of it, so that was because we last, uh, Mark Eggins got in touch and we talked about his idea last time about uh, sort of Jallo type things and um the oddness we, we of the giallo bit, uh, yeah, title the sort typical of, yeah yeah and he, the idea of doing a giallo adjacent season so he's repl he's got in touch with again um he's mentioned murder mansion as a potential example of something like that oh i love like, that movie so much yeah which is really fun um he says the rich pe young people on yacht series could be awesome um he likes a lot of the genre stuff for his satirical side which giallo has a lot of mm-hmm um, he mentions five dolls for an August moon and nine guests for a crime. So I mean, these are all good good suggestions. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, he also mentions how much, of course, he loves the seventies political thriller, which is a, an interest. Often they sort of straddle the art house and the Poliziotteschi. True, true. Um, I've not which, been. Um, I've not. I've not been. I've not uh, dipped into the Italian stream of that stuff for a very long time. And in mm. recent years, I've paid more attention to the to the Spanish end of that pool. But yeah, yeah. right. And as I think Radiance Films are starting to put out films that are a bit more along that sort of line. They just put out a Franco Nero sort of mafia box set where I think it's sort of political uh, cops trying to take down the corruption and all that sort of thing. So I think there's, there's more of that coming out again now. Um, he also mentions a film which I've not heard of called Illustrious Corpses. Which he says is not available on physical media at the moment. Are you, uh, which I, have you ever heard of that one? No. What's the, what illustrious corpses? Illustrious corpses. Yeah. No. From what year? Uh, I, I haven't looked it up. Seventies Italian political thriller. So does not ring a bell for me. No. Okay. There's some homework for us to do. Um, thank you, Mark, for getting in touch. Also, um, I went. Oh, another thing. I think since I last, since we last did the podcast. I went to a talk at a local cinema where they were putting on an hour's sort of mini lecture, really, about the Peplum film. And then they did a screening of Hercules, Samson, and was it Hercules, Samson, and Ulysses? Yeah, I've seen, yeah, the, yeah I'm aware that, of that film. That's a good one, yeah. if, remember, if memory uh, serves. So that was, that was really fun. I went to that. It was really good to see that on the big screen. And um, I met a guy there. We got chatting, and he it turns out that he was Italian. So uh, his name is Luca. So hi, Luca, if you're listening, because obviously I, I heavily plugged the podcast in our conversation. <laughs> Good job. So he was giving me some recommendations. So I just wanted to listen. He sent me a message uh, recommending Fernando de Leo films. Oh, and yes. also, I mentioned that I'd never seen a Bud Spencer and Terrence Hill film. Oh. So, well, that's interesting. I, I mean, uh, even though those are those are generally comedic films, and I I have a a, a slight allergy a slight allergy to Italian comedies, I will admit <laughs> to having had some amused amused laughter issue forth while watching okay. a few of their films. I'll, I'll 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 admit that very openly. Yes. Yeah, he mentions a couple like um, they call me Trinity. Mm -hmm. uh, Watch out, we're mad. That sounds good. God forgives, I don't. So well, yeah, I need to check out some of those. Um, he also he'd listen. He's been going back listening to old episodes. And hey, if you're a recent listener as well, do check out our, uh, our archive of almost fifty episodes. So there's something in there for everybody. Wow, really? Um, have we have we really made I know. that many? Wow. We will we will hit fifty in the next couple of months. Whoa. Um, so he says he's listened to our podcast about Operazione Luna. And says, I totally agree on your Franco and Ciccio comparison with other comedians and in general about Italian comedies in the 70s. It's very difficult humour to understand outside Italy for many jokes yes. are linked to specific events or people. So, uh, yeah. And then, um, yeah. So anyway, thank you, Luca, for getting in touch, uh, which he did. Both he and Mark contacted us through Instagram. So you can do that too if you haven't. Final bit of uh, feedback is from Kurt, who's been in touch before. Thank you, Kurt. He says, Dear Apocalypse... Oh, how has he written this? Dear Apocalyptiers. Apocalyptiers. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Thank you for your continued coverage of the most important stories of our time. You've helped me plan my investments more properly for the coming future. 
so far I've invested heavily in hairspray, uh, <laughs> desert, desert and spiky car attachments. Oh yeah. And I haven't regretted it. Now to hoard all the water to discourage theft, I'll keep it right next to the uranium. Yes. I'm kidding, of course. The water is already full of microplastics. No one would steal that. <laughs> and now he makes, makes a good point. He says, I know you don't spoil the movies you cover, but would you be willing to do a survey of post-apocalyptic film endings as part of a season wrap-up? I'd like to get a sense of how much hope it's reasonable for humanity to have. I don't think you need to go into detail, but of the films you covered, what were the characters' prospects at the end? How many people were left? And how long could they hope for continual survival? I mean, that sounds like a tagline, a poster for one of these films. Um, yeah. And what was the ending you'd most like to come true? For me, the ending of 2019 after the fall of New York is one of the goofiest things I've ever seen. I suspect it was inspired by the Planet of the Apes movies, but it was interesting enough that I kind of wish it would happen. I have to admit, I've already forgotten because I've seen so many of these back to back. What was the ending of After the Fall of New York? Oh, don't you remember? We, we discovered Which one that, was that? We, we discovered that the... Uh the woman has been impregnated by big ape oh yeah is that the one where they go to survive in an arctic base somewhere after getting out of new york uh they like wow they go okay, off and live, you're, you're, off and live in the arctic me. yeah but yeah she's um yeah pregnant with big ape yes okay uh finally thank you for starting this podcast and keeping it going adrian you and Roy, he sent this to me but he's talking to both of us. You and Rod play off each other terrifically. I look forward to your next commentary track. Oh, he says, I don't know for sure what it is, but if my guess is right, it will make a long awaited Gothic even more stellar. Well, Kurt, I couldn't possibly say because annoyingly, they still haven't announced it. <laughs> so they still have not announced it. Yes, this is true. Um, but I, I think we can say it's a Gothic. That's fine, right? This is true. Yes, it is uh so yeah thank you kurt um so we are if you listen to our next episode which will come out in a couple of weeks we are going to do a bit of a rundown of the 10 films um and so i'm sure some discussion may include that the discussion will oh, start that sentence again i'm sure that it may include some discussion of what was happening towards the end of these films and who has survived we'll try and get some of that in there uh but anyway that is it Thank you, everybody, for listening, for sticking with us through this amazing <laughs> journey across the wastelands and through yes. the through the scrapyards of the apocalypse. Um, we should probably we could tell a little talk a little bit about what's coming next season. Oh, yeah, well, we, of course. Should of course. we do that? Yeah, set that up. Um, so yeah, so we've got one more episode in this season, which will be our ranking episode, and then we will launch into a mini season. And Rod, this was your idea. So do you want to explain a little bit about what our mini season is going to be? Yeah, yes, this kind of was my idea. So I will take the arrow for this. Um, we're, the mini season is going to be it's going to be another little short one. Mainly because I think that if we wallowed in this subgenre for far too long, we would go mad. Uh, but we are going <laughs> to uh, we're going to view a few of the um, Italian Jungle Girl movies that mm. were all the rage from roughly uh, the beginning of time to the mid seventies, maybe early eighties. Um, yep. There are a few of them. There aren't as many as you might think. And um, uh, the, the quality um, actually, I don't know that the quality varies. There's kind of a mid range of quality with, they all kind of circle around, but uh, yeah. that is what we're going to do. We're going to cover a few Italian uh, jungle girl movies to kind of compare and contrast to talk about the, the, the that subgenre in detail mm -hmm. a, a little bit, simply because uh, I know I find it of interest. I, I can't imagine why. And uh, Adrian has been kind enough to uh, indulge me in this. Yeah. So I've made a short list, but I haven't narrowed it down to the final three mm -hmm. yet. Um, so, and one of these films I can't find anywhere. So that probably comes off the list straight away. <laughs> probably. So actually, I think that leaves six. So I'll just I'll I'll tell you the six that we've got, and then it would be great if anyone listening wants to recommend which ones they think we should cover. That might be good. But I've got uh, Gungala la Pantera Nuda. We've got uh, another Gungala. There's two another Gungala films like Gungala la Virgina. We've got Samoa Regina della Giungla or Samoa Queen of the Jungle. Mm -hmm. 
uh, we've got then we go we jump into the 80s uh, oh no there's another one from the 60s Tarzana the wild girl <laughs> uh, did you include uh, Luana the uh, the 1968 film Luana no I haven't got that on here I should have yeah, that yeah that one's uh, I've I've spent I, I've spent a, I've spent a lot of time with that movie and that's okay. probably the wrong way to have phrased that okay fine uh, so then we also get so Luana okay I'll add that to the list Tarzana the wild girl then into the 80s we've got Daughter of the Jungle and I thought it might be fun to throw in a late one Amazonia the Catherine Miles story Oh, that's a, that's that's an interesting film and yeah, kind of which combines uh, yeah. the Jungle Girl with the Cannibal film, <laughs> uh, and purports to be based on and a true a real story. story. Yeah, <laughs> back in the days when you could use somebody's real name in in your exploitation film and not get sued somehow. So yeah, so anyway, that's the that's the sort of uh, sh- the long short list, and we need to narrow that down to three films in the next few weeks. So. If anybody wants to make any recommendations as to which of those you think we should listen to, or alternatively, suggest some other ones. The main challenge for me with looking at these ones was, are they available for us to watch? Because surprise, surprise, not many of these films are available commercially. I know, which, and don't get me wrong, I kind of knew that to a degree, but it was a bit yeah. of a shock to realize it's that. It's a shame. Yeah, yeah. It was a bit of a shock to realize that nobody, no, there's no little boutique Blu ray company nope. or even DVD company has really dived headlong into this particular shallow pool. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's, uh, but that's kind of been the continuing story of this podcast. <laughs> I, 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 I agree. <laughs> I stumbled across this fact a long time ago and had forgotten it when we had to track down a couple of. Um, uh, well, at least a Jungle Girl movie that Paul Nashie was involved in in the mid-70s oh. and realized, wow, the only way to find this is this incredibly terrible copy that you can find. Yeah. You know, it, it looks like garbage, but yeah. So. Yeah. I know. We, you know, if, uh, if resources, access to resources were not an issue, I would be starting the Wild Wild uh, Blu-ray label tomorrow. That would be great. And I'd be all over this stuff. But anyway, okay, so that's what's coming. But next episode will be our final, final episode of this season. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Get in touch in all the usual ways. The note uh, links are all in the show notes. And I've been Adrian. Rod has been Rod. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, I we'll, have been. And we'll be back soon. Bye for now. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.